trolling, trolling for ten baggers. Trolling, trolling for ten baggers. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You're here with Joel and Sam. We're here to talk about finding 10 baggers. That's a stock that's gone up 10 times. There isn't much out there about how you find a 10 bagger, so we chat to people who've found them before. In the show, we talk to all sorts of guests about all sorts of different things, but just remember that nothing included is advice. Make sure to speak with a professional advisor about your own circumstances before making any financial or investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a really exciting guest on in today's show. We have Dave McNamee from Altor's Alpha Fund, which from inception in April 2019 to August 31, 2020, has delivered 200% since inception. We're recording at the start of September. David, welcome to the show. Great to be on here, gents. Thank you. Can I start by just giving us a bit of an intro on your background and how you got into what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, sure. So uh, basically went straight out of university to Bell Potter, um, which was sort of not the usual. I didn't really pick um, stockbroking and wealth management as sort of the go-to straight out of uni and and, um, fell into working at Bell Potter for almost five years out of Brisbane and just fell in love with capital markets, to be honest with you, and learned an incredible amount of um, you know, how the market works, how investing works, um, dealing with clients, dealing with, you know, corporate transactions and IPOs um, and you got a really good wholesome sort of overview of um, both the front end and the back end of, of investing. So that was a really great start for me and um, worked my way up from a, a dealer assistant um, into managing my own sort of portfolio of, of clients. Um, and then quickly from there, um, I moved into really wanting to dive into smaller capitalized companies because I felt like I could provide a lot more value um, to clients um, that way. And coupled with the fact that obviously commissions have been pretty heavily discounted since the sort of 80s. Um, and that continued to be the case just with all the sort of technology that's out there in the marketplace. So quickly learned that I you know, w- wasn't really providing a huge amount of value to clients in terms of ASX 200 companies and getting an edge and moved down the curve, became really engrossed in you know, understanding small businesses, working with the management um, and from there, went on to actually uh, help run another fund, um, a small cap fund, um, and then in 2019 set up my own fund with um, two other guys. One one guy who's been a great mentor to me, um, Harley Dalton, who actually was founded Dalton Nickel Reed or DNR Capital, which is one of Australia's sort of preeminent X20 fund managers. Um, and another gentleman out of Melbourne called um, Jared Brown, who was the CEO for Benelong Funds Management. Um, 
when Benelong had their sort of market neutral fund that was a competitor to DNR Capital. Um, sort of, I think it was founded around 2007. Oh, fantastic. And so you mentioned they're sort of smaller cap companies. What's, do you have a sort of definition or a, a house too small or how small you'll go into that end of the market? Uh, not really. We're, we're pretty, at the moment in the fund that I'm running, so the, the Alpha or Alpha Fund, um, you know, we're, we're actually more focused in on that, in, on that sub 50 mil market cap sector. And that's because um, it's really under-researched um, you can get access to management teams easily um, to then sort of cut, bring yourself up the curve in terms of understanding the business model and understanding what the catalysts are for the business to drive revaluations on, on capital markets. Um, and also sometimes the risk reward is heavily skewed to the upside with those companies as well. Um, and that's really the crux of, of what I do is it's basically trying to fill a portfolio of um, investments where you've got, you know, a heavily skewed asymmetric risk reward to the upside and the expected outcome on the overall portfolio is, is um, pretty high. So uh, understanding the businesses, understanding the catalysts that are going to drive the share prices. Um, yeah. Yeah. Terrific. David, what's the mandate for, for the Alto Alpha Fund that you're managing at the moment? It's a pretty broad mandate, but we're really focused in on that sub 200 mil market cap sector. And yeah, basically we've got a, an investment process that's worked for us for a, for a long period of time. And that's where our sort of bread and yeah, sort of. Yeah, terrific. I mean, what sort of things are you looking for? I guess you started mentioning stock specific. I mean, what are you looking for? Uh, yeah, so I mean, our investment process, we're really looking for, first we try and understand what the downside is to the, to, and the valuation is to the business that we're investing in. We then do a lot of work around, okay, well, what is, what is the business? What, what product do they have? Um, what's the value to their existing assets? And then we kind of reverse engineer the upside. So we really dive into understanding what the upside is. Um, and then, overlay that with we really need to have a catalyst that's going to occur for the business or a step change in the business where you can see the um, market getting really excited by that and you can see a strong price appreciation um, and volume and liquidity in the stock market and that's when so really what we're trying to do is we're trying to get in early um, and then when the blue sky starts to to occur in the valuation for the business and there's some volume and some excitement from shareholders, that's when we look to, to um, sell down our positions or get in some liquidity as an exit strategy. Just on liquidity there, so you're obviously not afraid to take positions potentially in um, less liquid names. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, if we can, I mean, we do. There's a lot of really high quality businesses that are probably less liquid on the stock market. But we're prepared to, if we, you know, we've done the work, um, we're really happy around the downside protection with those investments. Um, we're happy with the catalysts. And then, yeah, but that's not really, cause, because ultimately if those companies do deliver and execute out on their strategy, then when we're looking for a five to 10 times uplift from our initial investment, um, from, from doing that reverse engineering and from doing all the work around understanding the market, understanding 
what the realistic upside is. Um, and so even if it is a liquid and they do deliver, then you can generate some, you, you, what we find is that there's always buying that comes into those stocks that are high quality and those illiquid stocks will become liquid at some point. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it's, yeah, sorry. That's some of our other guests have mentioned the same thing that often liquidity just come, arrives once the price and the news sort of starts to flow and it can really change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, sometimes maybe we get involved that, you know, I think there was a placement just recently where we, we got involved with the company and it was relatively liquid. They issued a few more shares. Um, there were a few more eyeballs on the story and, and that's really key to what we do as well as, you know, we work pretty closely with a lot of corporate advisory groups around Australia and um, it's about building a story, communicating that story with the market. Because if you look at the ASX, like there's 2,300 listed companies that are on the ASX and almost 1,500 of those are sub 200 mil market cap. So, I mean, that's, that's an enormous investment universe. Um, compared with what the, the top 200 guys are, are dealing with. Um, and then if you take out resource-based companies, you know, there's not really too many listed high quality companies in that sort of, in that top 200 X resources. Um, so yeah, it's, um, there's a, there's a really big investment universe. There's um, a lot of things that are mispriced by the market, we believe um, just by virtue of not, really communicating their story properly with the market um, or not having enough eyeballs on, on the, on the company. Um, or there's, there's some sort of step change that hasn't happened in the business that, that might happen six to 12 months down the track. Um, yeah. Okay, David. So what are you looking for when you are assessing a management team? Is it, something about the, the character? Is it the skill set they've got on the board? What are you looking for in your portfolio investments? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, we're looking for skin in the game a lot from management. We're looking for how motivated they are to sort of get an outcome for the business. We're looking at how well they, they understand the market segment and how well they understand their business. The most important thing I think is how coachable the management team is as well. Like if they're not prepared to listen um, and take on sort of capital markets advice or um, then probably really difficult for us to sort of become a shareholder and because we, re we really like to be active with the investments that we take in, in helping the businesses and introducing them to potential clients or introducing them to, you know, groups that can help communicate the story. Um, so if they're not prepared to, to sort of, take on board some, some advice, um, then that's probably a big red flag um, very early on for us. Um, but having said that though, like, um, you know, no, no company's perfect. Um, and, you know, you, it's really a mixture of all these sort of criteria that you have um, that you need to tick off. And I think the big, the big two are is, you know, how large the upside is, um, the catalysts that are, that the company has um, and the ability for the management to deliver. There really needs to be guys that are, that are going to be prepared to get their hands dirty. And I mean, some of the mistakes that, that I've made uh, with some past investments have been there's some big 
company names, um, you know, people that are ex top four banks in Australia, ex some of the, um, you know, largest fintech companies in the world that come on and join, join boards, but they, they're pretty poor, to be honest with you. Um, the execution, the attention to detail is very poor. Um, and they're sort of just focused on what their upside is a lot of the time with, with sort of options packages or, so, so I think, you know, it, it's, it's the ability and the willingness of the management teams to get their hands dirty, um, understand intimately the market segment. Um, and, you know, we've had some great, you know, I've just, personally, I've worked with some, some guys that have just been awesome to watch over, over a couple of year period. Um, and I think two in particular are, one was um, in HR and the CEO there, Rob Bromage, you know, he's, he's poured a lot of his own hard earned cash and, and blood, sweat and tears into that business for years. Um, you know, had a pretty poor IPO, probably, you know, with the lack of revenue that came through and the execution from a client perspective early on hurt the share price. But I think now, um, you know, that business is in a really great place. It's um, recently had an investment from Bevan Slattery and, it's starting to win some some really high quality and high caliber names, and it and it's and it's on the back of the quality of his product. Um, so that's been one that that I think, you know, he, he Rob works some incredible hours every day. Like sometimes he's up at three a.m. in the morning getting emails from him. So, uh, and then the other one has been uh, Pointera as well. Um, again, you know, watched watched um, Ian Olsen for for, for years. Um, he probably took him a lot longer just because he, you know, that he's been dealing with a lot of enterprise sales on his side. Um, but he's really starting to sort of kick a few goals now and, and deliver on those larger, larger revenue client opportunities. And um, that business, I think, yeah, it's been, he's been hands to the wheel. He communicates the story well with shareholders. Um, it's, it's a global scalable business. And Ian's just stuck at it for years. Um, you know, when times are pretty tough and shareholders sort of are going, well, where are the results? And Ian just put his head down and, and just continued to grind out. And, and um, yeah, it's great to see him deliver. That's fantastic, Dave. I guess just for the listeners that are coming across these for the first time, so you want to just let the um, audience know where Altor entered both of those stocks? Yeah, so uh, it's it's funny actually because that they were two stocks that we actually picked up a lot in March when coronavirus was sort of in, at its worst period, um, and I think um, in HR we actually picked up quite a lot of stock around three cents, which meant the business at that time had an enterprise value of about five hundred thousand um, dollars. <laughs> so that that was um, since March, obviously, it, that's been sort of pretty incredible for for our fund. Um, but you, you know, I think the market at the time, rightly so people didn't really understand the risks. Um, but you know, I was, I was heavily engaged with both Ian and, and Rob, um, almost on a daily sort of, um, exchange to understand, you know, to, to really understand, you know, the, what the, what the balance sheet looked like, um, to understand how they were progressing sales. Um, and um, yeah, you know, 
um, we were we were really comfortable buying it in in March because we knew all, both businesses were well funded. Um, we knew that there were some there were some big catalysts for the company, and and it just so happened that Bevan decided to invest in both of those companies. Um, that really sort of brought about a lot of new investor interest. Um, but it, it coincided with the fact that those two companies were also delivering out um, what they said they would as well. So. Yeah, we might come and talk um, about the catalysts and things a bit a bit down the track. But just on those two, is it fair to say you were following those companies for you've been following them before, just the March situation, obviously, and you've known and and backed them for a long time previously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Intelli even put in some money into the seed round and then um, sold out some on the IPO, and um, I think it was sort of fifty or sixty cents. And then re-engaged with the company. I followed it for years and then re-engaged with the company when it sort of um, was around 10 cents. And um, yeah, it's just sort of understanding. Intelli is slightly different in the fact, you know, it was probably a higher cash burn business um, and Rob's rightly so the market's sort of been questioning Rob's ability to deliver revenue growth to overcome some of the net cash burn. Um, but I think even during COVID, he, you know, he sort of had sort of $4 million of cash on his balance sheet. And um, so we were comfortable with that and we were comfortable with where his revenue growth was. So um, we were prepared to back him, particularly given, you know, it was a, that enterprise value was $500,000. And, and um, you know, the, the business had contracted, you know, revenue, long dated contracted revenue with some pretty good clients for circa $10 million. So, um, you know, in our eyes, that's a, that's a great risk reward um, opportunity. And, you know, we're not throwing hundred percent of the fund obviously in that investment, but we've got a portfolio approach to all these things. And um, if they're all asymmetrically skewed to the upside as was that Intelli investment, then you, you, I think you, yeah, that's a, that's a really great, investment philosophy to have. And that's an interesting point that you raised. So that's about the sort of portfolio approach. So obviously you run a, a number of companies within the fund or you hold a number of positions. Do you have a sort of maximum or a minimum way you look to position companies within the fund? Yeah, we, 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 we've got a hard stop of sort of 20% of any one position in the fund. Um, but again, it just boils down to our investment process. So like, and I think th this probably ties in really well to what's happening in the market at the moment. So <clears throat> I think a lot of investors are buying into the stories at the moment, but aren't probably necessarily thinking about the valuations that they're paying. And it can be a really great story, but you've just got to sit back and go, well, what am I prepared to pay for that growth? Um, and what, what is the sort of realistic upside that I can generate from, from the, my entry price? Um, and with our investment sort of approach, um, you know, we're, we're, that's basically where we start is if I re-engineer this company delivering out on X, Y, and Z, what sort of realistic upside is there for this business? And what are the step changes or the catalysts that can drive that? And as the share price goes up, that ultimately means that um, the risk return profile is, becomes less and less skewed to the upside. Um, and that's, you know, we've got a, a scoring metric where uh, 
you you know you you you'd probably be selling into a lot of these things and and I think traditionally just looking back at you know since we st- since we started the fund um you know we've been pretty fully invested um because we've been able to find heaps of these you know risk reward opportunities but just lately I think the fund sort of um is starting to build a bit of a cash position and we have realized some profits in a lot of things and um we know how tough things can be in the markets. Um, March was testament to that, but also, you know, I think everyone who's invested in the small cap space has experienced some pretty tough times. Um, particularly, I think back to, um, you know, the 2017 was a really tough period for micro caps as well. Um, so the opportunities that you were able to find then from, if you just look at it purely from a risk reward, um, you know the opportunities that you're seeing now um people are people are really paying up for the valuations and you know we don't really engage in that like we we just yeah we've got an investment process that has worked for us in the past and we just want to sort of keep adhering to that yeah nice one dave can you talk us through march a bit because you know it's it's what only six months ago but it just feels like such a stark difference to what we're seeing currently in markets i mean um, we're going to go on to the differences between a retail investor and a fund but what was that like when you're managing people's money and and just sort of holding on for dear life in these portfolio companies can you can you take us through that a bit yeah yeah i mean it was no i think i've been through some rough periods in the market but um yeah, March was March was something special, um, you know. And I think it was probably the first time I had had that really sick feeling in my stomach um, at some points in time. And I remember the the sixty minutes report came out on on the Sunday night, and I think most of Australia watched that. And I think that was at the period where everyone didn't know, you know, had COVID really hadn't hit Australia at that point, and people didn't know what the impacts were in Italy things were looking pretty grim in Italy and Spain and there was a lot of hearsay um, and a lot of differing a sort of health practitioner advice around coronavirus and that uncertainty crept into the market and that definitely led to enormous amounts of fear uh, in the marketplace and um, you know you buy when there's when there's fear and and you sell when there's greed on the streets and um, we did a lot of buying in March, but I tell you what, it, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. And there were times where you sort of were very sick in the stomach, but you've got to just go back to what you know and the work that you've done. And, um, you know, we needed to make sure that companies were well capitalized now that, that we had, which we were very fortunate because all of the companies that we, we had in our portfolio were, were well capitalized at least for 12 months minimum. Um, and we, we knew that some of the companies were actually a beneficiary. We thought at the time, given a couple of things that were happening, um, in the macro environment. And we just, we, we, we did our best to actually like cut out a lot of the noise that was out in the marketplace. And, and I think what we did very well was, um, we had some people around us that were able to give really sane, rational advice when when the markets were, were 
um, were crapping themselves. And um, I just had a really good group of people, experienced guys around me that were able to give me some, some really rational advice and help me think through decision-making. Um, and, and, that, and that I think is just more broad to any investor out there in the marketplace. Like you need to surround yourself with people that you trust, um, people that you enjoy spending time with and people that can help walk you through making decisions in really tough periods. Um, and I was very surprised because there were guys out in the marketplace that I know and, and have a lot of respect for and um, they were making some some pretty stupid decisions um, during that March period. Um, what I yeah, what I thought to be pretty pretty silly decisions. Um, you know, there, and a lot of speaking to a lot of the sort of stockbrokers and investors out there, a lot of people just liquidated their their super funds, liquidated their whole share hold share portfolios, um, and you know, those guys have, they've, A, they've sort of copped a pretty decent haircut, but B, they've probably missed a lot of the upside as well. So, you, so you've missed one of the, the largest price appreciations in the share market history. Like the NASDAQ's almost doubled since the lows in March. Um, so if you sold at the lows, you've either had to buy back in and then, what, at what price do you buy back in at? Um, and then you've also taken a haircut on um, on the way down as well. So, Yeah, no, that's terrific, Dave, because I think there's some really good advice that you've given there just from a, a mental health standpoint about surrounding yourself with people that are going to challenge you and push you and, and certainly, um, you know, echoing what you said there with, with regards to retail versus funds. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of evidence about funds selling. So, yeah. But just, but just on that point as well, Sam, is that um, I think the world we live in today is just so, it is so different to anything that we've, that anyone's encountered in, in past capital markets. And you've, you've got this low interest rate environment. Um, p- people are sitting on high amounts of cash. Um, you know, they've been forced up the risk curve. It's really difficult. It is a really difficult time to be investing in capital markets. You've got the value guys are getting, you know, people, people are just, they're not making returns. People are upset with the value guys. You've got, you know, this, this completely new paradigm of tech companies um, that it's very hard to understand it, them from a valuation metric for, for a lot of the old guys that have been around in the marketplace for a long period of time. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, it, there's no rule book for the current macroeconomic environment. Um, and it's just been like, I got a, I was looking at a chart the other day. Like if you look at the money, global money supply and you look at, um, that overlaid with the sort of S and P, like it's basically highly correlated with, with money supply. So, you know, very you could argue you know a lot of people do argue that it's very much just driven by this by the central banks what's happening in in asset price and asset prices so it's probably the most difficult investing period i would say yeah no absolutely it's been challenging and and rewarding for those that are getting it right um 
I guess we're keen to understand as, as a portfolio uh, manager versus a, a retail investor, how, how you go about, like, I mean, we've, you've kind of been very modest. I mean, both 3DP and, and IntelliHR have been, um, you know, 3DP has almost been a 20 bagger for you in the Altor Capital Fund, which is what we like to see for trawling for, for 10 bagger listeners. But how do you hold on to these things? Where do you, where do you stick a fork in the road and go, okay, this is where we're selling? Because that's obviously the hardest thing to do. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's the hardest decision. Um, but I think when there's volume and excitement, you've got to lighten your holding. Um, and for us, because we have, you know, larger positions, I think it's easier for us to manage a sell down um, than, say, a retail shareholder who might have 10, 20, 50, $100,000 in their company. Um, because, you know, take Pointera, for example, like when, um, you know, because we'd done all the work, we kind of knew where we thought a fair and reasonable price was. Um, so, you know, we, we, we sort of waited till when Bevan bought, we actually, we actually bought a few, um, and, you know, we, we sold a few around 14 cents, then we sold a few around 18 cents, 20 cents. Um, we sold a lot around sort of high 20s. And then, you know, we, we sold some, I think, today um, around 39 cents. Um, so, you know, I think never try and pick the top on things. Um, don't be greedy. And you've just got to be prudent about the way that you you, you manage your sell down. And, and I think you... Well, if you look retrospectively back on things and you go, oh, well, I should have done, I should have sold this here. Well, you know, you just can't do that. You need to just understand what you're investing in, understand the upside. If the market wants to run ahead of where you think a fair and reasonable valuation is, then you've got to be comfortable with that. Um, and you've just got to have a staged approach into into catalysts into liquidity events. Um, I, I think that's really prudent. But, and that's probably more from a portfolio management approach. But um, I, I think that that also applies to a retail shareholder as well. But obviously, if you've got a, a smaller amount, you've got to take into account, you know, transaction costs and, and, and you can get in and out of these stocks a lot easier as well. So yeah, that's terrific, David. Um, I think what you said there really parallels nicely into retail holders because we've had certainly another guest or people on the show previously saying that if, if your main aim is to make money, then sometimes you're going you're gonna to cop a lot of failures. But I guess if you're coming back to your valuation, if you've put a line in the sand, you've put a valuation and you, you have to be, you sell there, you have to be comfortable with that and you have to go and find something else and, and take it off the watch list or, or go and do something else. You've got to say, this is what I w- wanted to do and this is what's happened because as you quite rightly point out, in this kind of a market, you're going to be very upset with yourself quite often if, if, if shares continue to run or stocks continue to run. So, yeah. Yeah, you've got to go, well, what, do I, what do I want out of this investment? Do I want to double my money? Do I want five times? Do I want 10 times? You know, am I, do I want 20%? I, each investor is different. Um, but I think, yeah, you've got to, you've got to do the work on the investment and understand what is a fair and reasonable upside. Um, and if it reaches that point and things haven't fundamentally changed in your thesis, um, because there's no new catalyst or there's no other new 
things that can drive the share price, then if you've sold it, you know, I think you've got to be happy with that. You talked about um, having different, you know, different portfolio companies with catalysts in them. Are you able to give us a bit of um, your thinking around how you sort of manage having obviously multiple different companies, but how that fits into your approach of having different catalysts, maybe lining up at different times and sort of smoothing out the returns ideally of your portfolio? Yeah. So this is, this is the hardest question to answer (laughs) hands down because um, there's so many factors, like things never go exactly to plan. You can't plan for things. Management are always delayed, um, you know, particularly in small cap um, investments. Um, so, you know, there's some investments that you really love and the market might not be, you know, truly reflecting the, what you think the valuation should be on the market. Um, there's other investments, uh, you know, I think a great example, you know, we, we, we bought quite a lot of um, Archtis AR9, which has become a bit of a market darling. Um, you know, we were buying that around five cents and took some in a placement around five and a half. And, you know, very hard to get traction in the marketplace and then suddenly you know the Australian government gets hacked and cybersecurity becomes this enormous thematic in the marketplace and that stock went from five cents to I think it was doing volume around 60 cents now you know we we sold that a lot lot lower than 60 cents um but it's the ones that you don't probably expect to to run at particular times but you've entered where you're really comfortable with the risk reward. You're very comfortable with your downside. You're very comfortable with the management and executing out on, you know, understanding what their strategy is. And then there are, there are a whole range of different things outside of your control that will affect how these share prices move at different times. And you're never going to pick that. Um, And I think you've just, that's exactly why you need to have this portfolio approach with these things is that there'll be macro thematic events that happen um, and there'll be sectors that run very hard in a short period of time and you you need to have exposures um, in those particular areas. The macro conversation has been really terrific. Um, Just coming back to I guess the private smaller private investors and, and and you as a fund do you see there any disadvantages that you might have in the market at present or any advantages for small and nimble investors or any tips that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, uh, I think they can be a lot more nimble in, in the market so they can buy and sell a lot easier than, than we probably can in the marketplace in terms of, you know, moving 20 grand is a lot easier than moving, you know, 100, 200 grand of stock. So, and, and also on top of that, I think, you know, if, if we get an investment wrong, you know, we'll have to actively help the management teams or have to do things where we can try and still get our, get a return on our investment or, or be able to move on from the investment. And that I think is not as much of a concern for a retail shareholder um, because just, be, just due to the fact that they're not really dealing in, they're dealing in sort of smaller liquidity parcels, then they can, they can get in and out easier. Um, so I think if they get it wrong and they move quickly about it, um, then I think retail, retail shareholders have an advantage. 
Yeah, it's interesting and something that some of our previous guests have mentioned as well, that as you get to some of the smaller market capitalisation companies and go further down the food chain, there's often less coverage by funds and analysts. So there's really opportunities there for smaller and individual private investors willing to put in the work. Yeah, just because we're a fund, it doesn't mean that we know any more or any less than a, than a, re, than a retail shareholder can know. And I think that's really important because, you know, there's, I think there's a misconception out there where retail guys go, oh, this, this institution knows this. And Well, there's nothing stopping retail shareholders doing the work themselves. You know, the, google.com, like go and type into Google and get researching. And there's not much that you, you can't learn. There's not, you know, people I think are pretty open if you want to learn about particular market sectors or particular products or get client um, sort of satisfaction on particular company products. There's so much information out there that retail shareholders can go and utilise. And there's no reason that, a retail shareholder can't know any more than than what we do. We know, um, and sometimes you know, there, there's there's shareholders out there that that they know they know companies better than we do. And, and you know, we we spend our every day trying to do research, talk to management, understand particular market segments, and and that's great. Like you know, we we talk to them and and get their perspective on things as well. Yeah. No. Look, I think you've given listeners quite a lot there, Dave, and I think. Fundamentally, if, if you're challenging yourself and you're committing yourself to doing this and learning from your mistakes, documenting, surrounding yourself with the right people, people that are going to, you know, provide positive uh, support in these troubling times, I think ultimately you, you're trying to be a better punter, I guess, and, and you'll, you'll benefit accordingly. Um, so thanks again for that. Now we come to the favourite part of the show. Dave, are there any stocks out there that you can say right now at current pricing um, represent a, a 10 bag or over the medium or longer term? I know that's a difficult one. And, and the caveat is you, it can't be something that you've taken some placement in. It's something that you can buy on market right now. Geez, you boys are really throwing the gauntlet out. The NASDAQ's at nosebleed levels and I come on the podcast and you're asking me for a 10 bagger. Driving for perfection always. <laughs> Mate, well, you will, well the, the first thing we'll say is you've already achieved 10 baggers. So if this is an absolute stinker, everyone will forgive you so but but you know that's what everyone's got to do when they come on so yeah no no fair play um look i i think um it's one that we've had in the portfolio for a long time and again (laughs) probably goes back to the question that you asked just before and that it it's the ones that take a lot longer and you're pulling your hair out um for long periods of time (laughs) Um, and banging your head against brick wall as to why the, the, the share price is taking so long to move and why the company is taking so long to execute. Um, can, I, can I give you two? Can I give you two or, or just one? Just we'll take one. two because that gives us 20 bags altogether. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think um, the first one is a, a defence technology company called Xtech. Um, I think if investors are patient there, they'll, they'll get well rewarded. Um, they've got good reseller business that they've used the cash flows to basically prove up um, some incredible technologies um, that I think they're in the process of commercializing at the moment. So I think that's one to definitely keep an eye on. Um, uh, and again, yeah, it's also sort of a key position for the fund, just as a 
as a caveat. Um, and the other one is a biotech company, um, which we followed for a long period of time. We think is misunderstood by the market. Um, is Antisense, A&P is the other one. So, um, yeah, there you go. I gave you two. So we'll see how they go over the long term. You did and very different um, <laughs> sectors and, and companies. So, yeah, really interesting mix. Absolutely, for something that people go and have a look at. And, Dave, if people do want to get in touch with you or find out more about the fund, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, prob- yeah, pretty open and uh, probably best to get me on the email, which is dmcnamine, D-M-C-N-A-M-E-E at altorcapital.com.au. Brilliant. Well, David, thank you very much for giving us your time. Um, we've really appreciated you and there's um, been some great stuff. So thanks again for, for joining the show. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Sam. It's been, uh, yeah, you guys have done a great job with the podcast and it's been great to be, be on. So cheers. Music in this episode is called 10 Minutes by Green Monday and from twinmusichome.org. Remember, the contents of this show is not financial advice. If you have questions or need more information about your own circumstances, make sure to contact a professional financial advisor.